right? Where would we be without it? You may be seated. Bibles to Genesis chapter 27 this morning. Genesis chapter 27. We are really close to the end of another Awana year. We just have two weeks left. Um, We've kind of got the regular part of the year done. And I don't know if you realize it, but every week we have close to anywhere between 110 and 120 kids who show up here. And to make that happen well, we have close to 50 adults who show up every week. Isn't that just amazing? On top of that, you've got another group of kids down with Impact and the Impact leaders who are faithfully serving there. But it always get kind of... I have this bittersweet emotion at the end of the Awana year. On one hand, it's like, another year. But then on the other hand, I'm looking at some of those kids and I'm like, oh Lord, you're going to have to be really good with them this summer. You're going to really have to watch over them. And that's just the church kids. Um, <laughs> it's the, the kids who, 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 have no, who have no hope and no, no home life at all that I get really worried about. And I was thinking this week, in light of Genesis chapter 27, I've seen a lot of families through our Awana ministry. I've counseled a lot of families. I've just observed a lot of families. And I've come to see that all of us come from some kind of dysfunctional family. Would you agree with me on that? Would you even agree with me that your own family's dysfunctional? We all, we all come from some kind of dysfunction. And what I've come to realize is, is that kids and their parents need Jesus all the more, right? We need Jesus. And, and our text today shines this really bright spotlight on a dysfunctional family. A family where dad and mom have favorites. A family where deceit is a way of life. A family where one son, the Bible records for us, is making life bitter for his parents. And quite honestly, it'd be really easy for us to look at Isaac and Rebecca and say, they are terrible parents without holding up the mirror of the Word of God to our own hearts and saying, you know what, their family isn't much different than our families today. This family, the parents were God followers. They were. I mean, can you have more faith than the faith of Rebecca to leave your homeland and, and, and travel for months to meet a man that you've never met and then just get married to him? That takes a tremendous amount of faith, doesn't it? They were God followers. Even to the point that we saw last week where people around them noticed that they were God followers. Abimelech finally takes notice of, the, of Isaac and Rebecca and is like, it's obvious that God is blessing you. I hope you're catching and seeing a recurring theme in Genesis that that is going through the whole Bible, but remember, Genesis is the book of beginnings, and and if you haven't caught this theme, I just want to give it to you, just really, it's just like a formula, and, and I don't want you to miss it. The formula is this, blank is not faithful, but God is. Abraham, not faithful, but God was, right? Sarah, not faithful, God was. You can go even farther back. Adam, Eve, 
not faithful, but who was? God. Noah, not faithful, but God was. And it's a recurring theme. And we could put our name in the blank. Dan, not faithful, but my God is. So this morning, we got a lot of text to cover. There's 40 verses that we're going to cover in chapter 27. We're going to go verses 1 through 40, and I'm going to read them, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to, we're going to take a look at this and see what we can glean from it. So Genesis chapter 27, verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out into the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. I emphasize those pronouns. Who is Isaac looking to take care of here? Himself. We'll come back to that. Now, now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare for them delicious food from them, excuse me, delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him, and bring a curse upon myself, and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son, only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to my father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether or not you really are my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. 
So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of the heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob. When Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father, Isaac, said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently, and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceeding great and bitter cry, and he said to his father, bless me even also, O my father. But he said, your brother has deceitfully or came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me two, these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you and all his brothers, and I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said, behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother, but when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Let's pray. Father, use this text to encourage us, to exhort us, to rebuke us, to correct us and change us this morning. What a shame it would be if we looked into the mirror of God's word this morning and we didn't leave differently. We so desperately need to have our hearts changed, and so I pray that you will do it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So from the time of chapter 27 to the time, or the end of chapter 26 to the beginning of chapter 27, 37 years have passed. 37 years have passed. So when kids get this story in Sunday school, they get little teenager Jacob and Isaac, or Jacob and Esau before their father Isaac. Well, I'm sorry, but all the flannel graph you saw as a kid was wrong. Esau now has two wives, he's making his parents' life bitter, Jacob's still not married, and they're 77 years old. They're 77 years old when this event takes place. Isaac is 137 years old. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, in writing about this chapter, said this, the whole story reflects no credit upon any of the persons concerned. Let me say that again. The whole story reflects no credit upon any of the persons concerned. You can look high and low in this text this morning, and we will not find one noble person in this text. Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Esau, yeah, 
There's not one noble person in this text, but there is a faithful God. There is a faithful God. And so this morning, there's so many ways that we could attack this. I was studying this week in my office and thinking, which way do I want to go with this? And I'm going to try and go a couple different directions with it, which will probably get me in a lot of trouble, okay? But when you think about it, this text of Scripture has all the recipes for a dysfunctional family. It has everything you need to have family dysfunction. But also has, it also has meaningful lessons for, for every one of us, too. And so we're going to begin with Isaac's willful rebellion. And I put next to this in my notes, dysfunctional families have, fa- have fathers who absolutely rebel, and they do not follow God's plan for their families. Dysfunctional families have fathers who rebel and will not, father, will not follow God's plans for their families. We see at the beginning of the chapter that physically Isaac is old. He's old and he's blind, and he believes that he can die fairly soon. What's interesting, though, is that God's going to let him live for another 43 years. Have you ever met somebody who's old who acts like they're already in the grave? And then they just continue to live on and on and on. Isaac is that guy. He's already acting like he's dead and he's gone. He's, he's, he's the kind of guy who is like, woe is me, woe is my bones, everything's falling apart. And, and he's bringing his son in there, I've got to bless you because I could die any minute. I'm about to go. I pointed out to you when I read this, he's living only for whom at this point? Living for himself. Living for himself. Dads, the worst thing you can do is make life all about you. And that's what Isaac is doing. He's making life all about him. His sons, his 77-year-old sons are there to serve him. Good fathers are serving their families even till the very end. And Isaac is, is not at all interested in serving his family He wants to fill his belly, and then he'll pronounce his blessing on Esau. He's got to do this. Now, if you remember, God made it very clear when when the twins were born, he told Rebekah something about them, didn't he? And he said this, the younger one is going to rule over the older one. The older one will serve the younger. Do you suppose that somewhere in the 77 years after this, that Rebekah had intimated this to her husband Isaac, seeing as... Jacob was her favorite child. Do you think she mentioned at all? Wives, any of you would have mentioned it to the husband? Come on, wives, be honest. Wives, any of you would have nagged your husband with that whenever he favored Esau over Jacob? None of you want to admit to being a nag, I know. This is something that Isaac knew in his heart. And he is directly going against. And how do I know this? Because how is he doing this? Normally, when a son would be blessed in this time frame, in this culture, when the son was going to be blessed, there was a big party that was going to be thrown. You would invite in the neighbors. You would invite in, you would invite in the extended family. You would invite in people that were dignitaries in your area. You would invite them all in to let them know. Because not only was this just a blessing, this was letting people around you know this. This guy's now in charge. This is the guy who's now in charge of my family. And he was passing it on. Yet, what does Isaac do here? 
Isaac does this very quietly. He does it, he does it very secretly. And, and he's trying to hide it. And there's only two reasons I can think that Isaac is trying to hide this. Okay? One, he knows what God's already told Rebekah, and so he's trying to do this kind of under the radar. You ever try to do something under the radar so that God won't notice? How does that work out? The Bible tells us the things that are done in secret will be revealed, right? And so Isaac's trying to do this in secret. He's kind of like, but, but he's the classic old man too. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm getting old. I know this and I'm starting to lose my hearing. And so what do I do when I'm starting to lose my hearing? I talk louder and I turn up the TV louder. Imagine Isaac talking to Esau and he thinks it's just he and Esau and he's whispering, but it sounds like this. Esau, I need you to go out there and do this. Right? That's what's happening here. And he's trying to do this in secret, secondly, because he doesn't want to incur the wrath of his wife. He doesn't want to incur the wrath of his wife, which says something about his wife too, doesn't it? Says something about his wife. But, but at the end of this, let's understand, he's willfully pursuing a course that's directly against the revealed will of God. And before we throw stones at him, how many times have you read in God's word what God tells you to do for the day, and you say, okay, that's a great plan, God, but I'm going to do this. He's ignoring God's plan. Was reading a commentary about this passage of scripture, and, and the commentator said this someone has said that old age can be a blessing or a horror, and it would appear in this case to be a horror for Isaac. He is scheming here to put his blessing on Esau. He is here he is, the patriarch of the family, and he is going and doing this in secret. He is scheming to put the blessing on Esau. And think about this. Go back to the end of chapter 26 and verse 35. He wants to put a blessing on the guy who 26.35 says is making his life bitter. He's making his life bitter. I think it would be wise to point out at this point that solid families need fathers who are absolutely committed to knowing and obeying the will of God. Let me say that again. Solid families need fathers, and I would even submit to you grandfathers, who are committed to obeying and following the will of God. And sadly, I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about Christianity. I'm talking about the church. We got too many fathers who are willing to obey and do the will of what the mother wants or what the rest of the world is telling them to do, as opposed to what God is telling them to do. But Isaac isn't the only schemer, is he? He isn't the only schemer. Let's move forward and let's talk about Rebecca. Sweet, beautiful Rebecca, who comes all the way across the desert to meet Isaac and get married to him. Such a wonderful woman, such an amazing person, such a wretch of a schemer. Dysfunctional families, you want to throw this into the recipe, you already got, you got, a, you got a, in this dysfunctional family, the recipe, one part of, of father who absolutely won't follow the revealed will of God, add in another part of a, of a woman, a mother who will step into the leadership void created by the father. 
Boy, isn't that indicative of the society we live in today? Isn't that indicative of the church today, where women are more than willing to step into the leadership void provided for them willingly by their husbands? Both are equally responsible for that. Some of you are looking at me like, man, you are really stepping on toes this morning. Is it truth, church? It's truth. And here we have Rebecca who is going to step into this void and she is going to scheme her way into getting God's will done. Let me just tell you something at the very outset of talking about Rebecca. If you have to scheme to get God's will done, God doesn't need your help. And Rebecca is going to scheme to get God's will done. It's been said that the mother is the chief shaper of the home. Isn't that true? You know, mom kind of sets the tone for the household. If mom is nervous and antsy, guess what the kids are? Nervous and antsy. If mom's a perfectionist, guess what her kids are? They're either rebels who make their rooms even messier just to push her buttons, or they're what? They're perfectionists. If mom is a schemer, guess what the kids are going to be? Schemers. Rebecca has set a tone in her household. Not only that, there's a lot of friction, there's a lot of deception, there's a lot of treachery in this household. Guess where that all started? It started with Isaac voiding his place as leader of the home, and, and Rebecca stepped in and she's like, you know what, I can get things done in here, but I have to be respectful. He is a patriarch after all, so I will give him lip service and behind the scenes I'm going to get stuff done that needs to get done. When we pick up the account of Rebecca in verse 5, the Word of God's really clear. What's she doing? She's spying. That's what she's doing. She doesn't trust her husband. She doesn't trust him. She knows what he's up to. She knows that he favors Esau. She knows one of these days he's going to pull a stunt like this, and she already has a plan ready to go. Now, I told you, it might have been aided by the fact that he's an older guy and he's hard of hearing, so he's probably shouting, okay? But she goes to great lengths to deceive her husband. I read one commentator, and I was stunned by this, who actually said that Rebecca should be praised in this because she was going to great lengths to determine that God's will would be done. That's hogwash. That's not even worth the paper it's printed on. I threw the commentary away. That was good enough for me. Rebecca is not acting in faith here, because if she was acting in faith, she would have trusted that God would have accomplished his purposes. She's not acting in faith. She, she's taking matters into her own hands, and, and she's forgetting God's own faithfulness to her, is she not? Did not God provide her a husband? Did not God provide her this family? Did not God provide her all these things when she lived by faith? Did she not just see the danger some, some 30, 37 years before? Did she not see the danger of lying and manipulating God to try to, to, to get his will done whenever it came to Abimelech? Did she not live through that? And now after seeing the danger of deception, she is going to tell one giant whopper of a lie. You see, Rebecca 
not only manipulated Isaac, but she manipulated her son as well. She manipulated her son as well. And I just want to say to you, it is such an unbecoming trait for any woman to be a manipulator. But honestly, I understand why some women do. Because their husbands will not lead the way they're supposed to, so they have to kind of work behind the scenes and manipulate to get things done. Rebecca's the kind of person that would say to Isaac, we need to get the furnace serviced, and yet she knows he won't call, so she's immediately speed dialing on her phone, getting her, her contractor lined up. That's the kind of woman that she is. And here's the whopper of the lie that she's going to tell now. Verses 9 and 10 says this, okay, we don't have time, and you're not a hunter, Jacob, just go kill two goats. At that point, I imagine Jacob's already like, oh man, I got to kill something? That's not his forte, right? So he goes out and he kills two goats. He brings the meat into mom. And, 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 and notice Jacob at first has some objections, does he not? Do you see them there in verse 11? He says to him, wait a minute, mom, verse 11. My brother Esau is a hairy man and I'm a smooth man. We're, we're not even built the same. We're, we don't even look the same. And he says in verse 12, you know dad's going to feel me, and he's going to touch me, and, 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 and when I do that, when he finds out that I'm not who I say I am, guess what? He's going to curse me. You know how big of a manipulator that she is? Notice what she says to him in verse 13. I'll take your curse. His curse will be on me. So she continues on with this. She dresses him in Esau's clothes. She, she puts the, the, the goat hide on his neck and on his arms. Honestly, this sounds like a bad TV sitcom, doesn't it? This sounds like a sketch from Carol Burnett. Some of you in the room are like, Carol who? <laughs> Pastor Andy's Googling that right now. <laughs> Yeah, right over your head. But even worse than all of this is the pragmatic way that they're approaching this. What do I mean by that? They really believe that the deception is necessary for God's will to be accomplished. They really believe it. And, and, and can I just say this to you? God doesn't need man to sin in order for him to get his will accomplished. God, God never needs that. He never needs that. And let's understand, there's going to be a price to pay here for her. There's going to be a severe price to pay for her. When she said, his curse be upon me, she didn't realize how serious she was in that. There, there was a lot of prices to be paid here. There's a fractured family. There's going to be hatred between the brothers. Jacob's going to end up leaving for 20 years. And guess what? In that 20 years, his mom dies and she will never see him again. Moms, can I say to you, don't contribute to a dysfunctional family by being the manipulator and stepping into the void of leadership. Don't do it. There is a severe price to be paid. A severe price. Or put it this way, solid families need mothers who trust God and don't manipulate their husbands and children. 
So now we move on to Jacob. Jacob, there's no other way to describe him, but he is a flat-out liar. And what we learn from Jacob is, is something that you and I know to be true. How many of you ever told a lie in your life? If there are hands not going up in this room, you're telling one right now. Again, how many of you have ever told a lie? Thank you. What did you learn about that lie? One lie always leads to what? Another lie which leads to what? When you get to the point that you can't keep track of the lies is usually when you get found out, right? Jacob is a master liar. And he's going to lie directly three times to his father. So he gets all dressed up. I mean, just, just picture in your mind the insanity of what he looks like. Okay, he's dressed in his brother's clothes. I'm guessing that his brother is probably bigger than him, right? So he's got clothes that are too big on him. They smell like game, which he can't stand. And he's probably like, ooh, I hate this. And on top of that, he's got goat skins on his arm and on his neck. And he's like, oh, they're gross. And this dude, dressed up like this, walks into his father's tent And he says in verse 18, my father, and he tries to disguise his voice, <clears throat> my, my father. And he said, here I am, who are you, my son? Remember, Isaac can't see, right? Which one are you? First lie, verse 19. He doesn't even tell a white lie. He just bold-faced lies. I am Esau, your firstborn. Except he, I am Esau, <clears throat> your firstborn. Right? He keeps going with it. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. Isaac still has his wits about him and he's like, wait a minute, how did you find game so quick? Right? How did you find that game so quick? Verse 20. And notice the blasphemy that, that Jacob is willing to go to here to, to make sure that his lie is truth. He invokes the name of Almighty God in this. Verse 20, because the Lord your God granted me success. You know what? The best way to get, to get people who love Jesus to believe you is, is to, to put a little bit of God in your comments. Right? Just put a little God in your comments, put a little religion in your comments, and they'll believe you every time. And that's what he does. He drags God into this lie. Now, let's understand this. This is a 77-year-old man who is deliberately deceiving his father who can't see. I don't know how else you can couch this, but as utterly wicked. And he's probably justifying his actions as preventing Isaac from doing something that he shouldn't do. He's rationalizing his own sin. And again, Isaac doubts what's going on here. He doubts what's going on. Verse 21, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether or not you're really my son Esau or not. In other words, I, I, you're not convincing me here. Come feel me. And all I can say is Esau must have been a really hairy dude. Have you ever petted a goat? 
Those things are kind of rough and coarse. Yeah. So he comes near. In verse 22, he says, The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother's Esau's hands. So he blessed him and he said, Are you really my son Esau? And a third time, what does he do? I am. He lies. He lies. And in doing so, he secures the blessing of his father. And the blessing is, is basically this. <laughs> you know what? Verse 28. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth. That, that's a nice way of saying may God bless you in everything that you have. Dew is, dew is a very important commodity there. It's a very arid climate. And there's not a lot of water around. So they count on the dew to, to water their crops and keep, to keep the, 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 the grasslands well fed so that, the, so that the animals can eat there. Dew's an important thing. And he says the fatness of the earth and the plenty of grain and wine. In other words, may God shine his favor on you and give you everything you need. And then on top of that, verse 29, let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. And cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. He, he's done it. He has passed on now what he thinks is the blessing to his firstborn. And can you imagine in Isaac's mind what he's doing right now? You can, because you've all thought this way, and I have too. He's thinking this, I got away with it. I did it. It worked. You ever been there? I actually got what I wanted done. Hmm. Yeah. Until just a few minutes later. And picture this. Here's Jacob. He can't wait to get out of that tent, get out of that stuff. And he must get the garments back in Esau's section of the tent in time for Esau to come in. Right? And Esau walks into the tent and he smells. That kind of smells like my recipe. What's mom cooking up over there? But he quickly gets to dressing his game and so forth. And you and I might be tempted at this point to feel bad for Esau. We might be, but Hebrews 12 tells us otherwise. Keep your finger here and go to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 would tell us that we should not feel sorry for him at all. And here's why. Hebrews 12 and verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become undefiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal, for you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. And the writer of Hebrews, what, what the Holy Spirit is telling us here is this, Esau never repented. He just had tearful remorse, but no repentance. And there's a difference between tearful remorse and repentance. So the lie is revealed in verses 30 into 32, and it's, and it's true. Lies will one day be exposed, will they not? And these lies are exposed. And in doing so, Isaac's will is crushed. 
great preacher of a former generation by the name of Donald Gray Barnhouse. Barnhouse wrote this about this text of Scripture, and it was so good, I'm like, I can't even reword that to make it sound like mine, so I'm not even going to try. Barnhouse said this about this verse here. The verse I'm talking about is verse 33. Notice it. Isaac trembles violently. He trembles violently. And, and the picture there is, it is uncontrollable, and, and it, it, he has no absolute control over his faculties at all. He is, he is literally just there shaking. Barnhouse said this, before a great work of grace in one's heart, there must be a great earthquake. Isaac had to put his personal love of Esau ahead of the will of God. And he did, didn't he? He had put his personal love for Esau ahead of God's will. In doing so, he created an idol. Barnhouse goes on to say this, down came his idol, and the edifice of willful love collapsed before the shaking power that took hold of him. The arrogant pride, which had slyly planned to thwart God, toppled to the ground, broken beyond repair. When Isaac trembled exceedingly, all his desires were shattered. I like that. Because you know what? You and I get that way too. We build up these idols that are bigger than what God's design is for us, and we start to really love our idols, and we bow down and we sacrifice to those idols. Isaac had been sacrificing to the God of Esau ever since Esau had been born. Which tells me this, parents, you want to know the quickest way to have a dysfunctional family? Make your children your idol. Worship your children. Make it all about your children. You will have dysfunction every time. Every time. Isaac's heart idol, his pride, both were crushed by God. And in doing so, guess who was the collateral damage? His son Esau. Esau was the collateral damage here. It's true. Esau really didn't do anything wrong in this specific situation, did he? He obeyed his father. He went out and did what he was asked to do. He came in. Now, Esau knew he wasn't supposed to get the blessing too. But in doing so, Isaac's hard idol worship caught his son as collateral damage. And what you see here is this pathetic exchange between Esau and Isaac where he is begging him for a blessing. There's got to be something. There's got to be something you can give me here. And in verses 39 and 40, his blessing is anything but a blessing. Isaac, his father, answered and said, behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be. In other words, Jacob is going, he's, he blessed Jacob with the fatness of the earth, and where is Esau going to be? far away from the success of life. He continues on, and it'll be away from the fatness and away from the dew of heaven. And he says, by your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother, but when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. In other words, guess what? I pronounce the blessing, you are going to serve your brother, and your life is going to be full of conflict. Everywhere you go, you're going to live by the sword.
I got to agree with Spurgeon. There's, there's not one person in this passage that's worthy of any commendation, is there? What a sad tale. Everyone loses in this. Everyone loses in this. Isaac loses his credibility. He loses his pride. He, he, loses, he loses everything with his family. Rebecca ends up losing her son. Esau loses a blessing. And Jacob ends up losing 20 years of his life. And the one thing that's not found in any of this chapter is not one of them put any trust in God. They didn't trust one another, and they certainly didn't trust God. But, 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 who comes through? Jehovah Almighty comes through, does he not? Does the blessing end up where it's supposed to? Could it have ended up? Let's make sure we're clear on this. Could it have ended up without Rebecca and Isaac manipulating the situation? Absolutely. Absolutely. It could have, and it would have. But God does accomplish His will. And I think of 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13. If we are faithless, He is what? Do you know what that next word is? Faithful. If we are faithless, He is faithful. He cannot deny Himself. And I think what Paul would tell us today, if he were here, if he was talking about 2 Timothy 2 to us, he would say this, it's always best to walk by faith, to live by faith, but when we don't, he will be faithful to us. And so before we leave this text, before I pray, I would ask each one of us to search our hearts and think about this. What are the ways we're tempted to defy God's will? This isn't just an Isaac thing. This is every person who lives on the face of this earth. We're tempted to defy God's will. And let's understand something. Pride will goad us into doing it. Pride will absolutely tell you every time, you can do it. You can beat God. You can accomplish what you want to accomplish. And, and what happens is, is we have to have our idols crushed by God. Secondly, and probably more important here, is what are the ways that we're tempted to use unrighteous methods to accomplish God's will? And it's a big temptation, isn't it? To use unrighteous methods to accomplish God's will. Well, God, I can see here where you need a little help, so I'm just going to do it this way. It's kind of like, kind of like the, the insanity of, you know what, the church budget is low, so everybody go out and buy lottery tickets. I mean, you laugh at that, right? But we do some pretty crazy things to help out God, don't we? We do some pretty crazy things to try to help out God. Like, let me help you out with these children that you've given me here, God. I, I am just going to be the legalist with them, and I am going to keep them in line to the left and to the right, and I'm not going to trust you at all. And guess what? Your kid gets to 18 years old and he rebels against God. It doesn't always work, does it? It's easy to fall in prey to the temptation to use unrighteous methods, even if they seem like good moral methods, to help God out. If we've learned anything, God doesn't need our help. He just needs us to follow His plan. He just needs us to, to get in line and follow His plan. 
Father, so many lessons here for us. Such dysfunction in that family. But if we're honest, each one of us is part of dysfunctional family. And we're so thankful for the grace of God that, that supersedes our dysfunction, that, that when we are faithless, you are faithful. That's not an excuse for us to be faithless, but it is a comfort to know that, that even when we are trying our best and we can't accomplish your will, you will be faithful to us. So may we not rest on what it is that we can do. May we rest on you, the God who is faithful to us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.